Well, friends, my name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the midst of a series on joy, and um, joy is a, is a characteristic, is a trait, is a gift to you from God um, as we seek to find and follow Jesus together, and this morning you'll hear a lot about it, is that we really seek to not only be in relationship with one another, but we also seek to be in relationship with Christ, and so we don't just want to talk about that, we want to do it, and so um, over in the next five minutes in our service, um, we invite you to have time to build relationships with one another. And that might seem a little scary to you, uh, but we give you a little prompt that makes it a little bit easier. But we also give you, we have a little snacks in the back. We have coffee, we have tea, water, and some uh, donuts. And so as you go, we call this as you go discipleship. We want you to talk about this question. If you were uh, in an Olympic sport, if you could compete in the sport in the Olympics, what would it be? All right, take five minutes, and we'll see you back here. Thank you, Chad. Well, friends, as you uh, wrap up your conversations, as you grab your last coffee and donuts um, and head back in, um, this morning we are in the middle of Philippians chapter 3. And we're talking about joy, and we're talking about how it's a gift. We've um, talked the last couple weeks just about what it is to be humility and our attitude. Um, and I want to, to extend to you just uh, this olive branch, is that um, a lot of times um, when you come and we talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, is we're often reminding ourselves um, of things we already know, right? Like how many parents in the room, you've taught your kids one thing, and you've taught it once, and then how many times are you reminding them? All the time. A thousand, a million, depending on what it is, right? And that came to me um, this spring. Uh, so my daughter is uh, goes down to the Village Theater, and she participates in a theater class. And if you've ever been down on Front Street around 4.30 or 5 o'clock, it's insane, right? Um, it's hard to get through. It takes like 45 minutes to leave early. I've left and been late too many times. But if you've noticed there is that they have crosswalks, right? And most of them have, when you push the button, it flashes, right? But the one by the Village Theater doesn't. And so as we were getting out of the car, I told Ellie, I was like, because um, my daughter, Ellie, the oldest, is nine, and she thinks she's too big for her britches, right? So she thinks she doesn't need to hold her dad's hand anymore when she crosses the streets. And I said, baby girl... What do we do when we walk across the street? It's like, we look both ways. Uh-huh, I know, no, 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 Dad. How many parents, right? They're like, I know, no, 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 right? And so what happens is that I'm like being a watchful eye because I know what is happening around me. And so as we're driving down and the traffic is all stopped on one way going towards uh, Main Street and towards the library, but the other side is free. And so as we walk past, I wave to the person and then Ellie continues to walk and I hear out of the, like, just on the other side, an engine revving and, you know, when you hear it, like, the uh, RPM's flying and all of a sudden, my daughter is two steps ahead of me. And all I know how to do, because she's just, just far enough out of arm reach, is I start yelling, stop. Right? I yell, stop to my daughter, stop at the car. And all of a sudden, this tire starts screeching, and they come, like, if, if, and then I grab my daughter, and so she stops, and she listens, but the car stops, would have been past us. And I realize in that moment that I've taught her, but I continually need to remind her. And if I don't do a good job of continually reminding her as a nine-year-old, and I know I taught like her at two years old, when we cross the street, we look both ways to see if a car is coming because cars can hurt us. And even seven years later, if I have stopped doing my job of reminding 
her, a disaster would have happened. Not only to the person that was driving, but to everybody around that witnesses it. And I think that is so much of what Paul is doing here in Philippians. He says this in in chapter 3, and we'll read this in a minute, is that it's a reminder always of things you already know. And I know that you might be like, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, but let me tell you again. Unless you continue to say it to one another and to yourselves, disaster happens when you stop. And so this morning we want to talk about one thing. One thing. Do you want joy? You want joy? Then give yourself Jesus. Then give me Jesus. If you want joy, if you want joy in your life, then say, give me Jesus. So I want you to turn into Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Um, we are going to be sitting in this text this morning, and, it ta- and it's going to be talking about this whole idea of what it looks like to give me Jesus. He's going to, and Paul's going to talk a little bit more of actually what that looks like, and we're going to unpack that and, fl- and bring flesh to it. So, um, so if you have your Bible in front of you, uh, I would encourage you to look at it, whether it's digital, whether it's physical, or you can watch uh, and read it along the screen with me. So this is what it says. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I like that part, right? To you again, which means he's written it to them before. He's written another letter. He's told them this before. It is a safeguard for you, just like it is a safeguard for my daughter. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcised who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put confidence, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, a zeal, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them worthless, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining the resurrection of the dead. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to do what only you can do. To take a obstinate, fitful people and remind them again and again and again the truth of your word, the revelation of your Son, the joy we find in his death and resurrection, and the grace that we know every day. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. God, may our hearts and our minds be conformed to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. 
So this morning, we are clearly just reminding one another. In this like fashion of family and in relationship with one another, I want to remind you that it is all about Jesus. That in this desire for you uh, to show up this morning, to be committed to, to the way of Jesus, it's not just the way of Jesus, it is the person of Jesus. And so this morning we want to talk as a, just a gentle reminder, because I think sometimes even though we might know, it's good to name. Right? My daughter might know that she needs to cross the street and look by, but it's really good to name. And so this morning we want to name. We want to name the truth is that joy is not found in your accomplishments or your status, right? Like your joy, and you might know this, joy in your relationship with Christ is not found in your accomplishments or your status. And I love that Paul does this right here, that Paul names his accomplishments, right? That he abides by the law, that on the eighth day, the actual literal day, he was circumcised. His parents did a good job. They were really faithful, and they did what was required by the law. On the eighth day, he was circumcised. He wasn't circumcised later. He was on the eighth day, right? He can boast on that, where most didn't, right? He was a a people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, right? A tribe set apart. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He was a Pharisee, one as seen as a, a, a faithful one who knows the word of God, who is faithful in teaching the word of God to the people of Israel, Right? As for his ability to do all of what the law commands, he calls himself faultless, right? And all those things that Paul is saying, that if anybody could boast in what makes them right with God or on their own ability could earn favor with God, right? Because before Jesus, that the Israelites were supposed to live in the law, to live to the to the word, to be in right relationship with God, to live into the way, into the law that he provided. And so Paul is boasting. He says, if anybody can boast, it's me. But he says, all of that doesn't matter. That none of that can secure your place in the family of God. None of that can put yourself on a firm foundation to where you know that nothing that you do could set you apart or outside of the gate or outside of the family because you have done it all right. And then everybody else is lesser because, because no, 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 none of that matters. And I was thinking about that as followers of Jesus, like what in the world today would that make sense to us, right? And I think that the truth is, right, we see this all the time, is that our position like your position in the church, whether you're like the chair or you serve or you've been doing it, you know, the same ministry for 15, 20 years, 40 years, right? You've been coming to the church. You are a member. You have been here since day one. You can put your establishment that I am the benchmark, right? Or like as, as a pastor, like I not only have my MDiv, but I'm ordained. But what if I go and get my uh, doctorate, right? What if I'm a pastor emeritus at a school? What if schools give me like honorary degrees because of my work in different fields? Right? Or maybe it's just like something more simple. Like maybe it's your Bible strength. You haven't missed a day in 35 years. Kudos to you. If that's you, come talk to me because I need to know how. Oh Lord, I need to know how. Or maybe it's your knowledge of scripture. Like you're just really good at knowing and you like are some like some of my seminary professors, you do chapter and verse, 
right? Like I know some of us would be like, for God so loved the word, we'd be like John 3.16. That's like the only one we're like good at, right? And we're like, <laughs> right? Um, but for some of you, it's like, man, I really know chapter verse. I know what every book of the Bible is about, how it fits forward and backwards. I've read it uh, from cover to cover 35 times. Um, a year, and I'm just kidding, uh, but right, um, but maybe it's also then like, you know, these other accomplishments, you're like, I come here, I am here, you know, 50 weeks a year on Sunday, I've given my full 10%, I pray every day, I've done all these things. I'm pausing reminder, for one second, for one second, take an inventory. Is that really what keeps you in a relationship with Christ? Let's just even make it even more simple. Is those things that you do on your honey-do list, check it off, is that what keeps you in a relationship with your spouse? Kids, if you do everything your parents say and every chore, is that really what keeps you in a good relationship with your parents? And of course, like right now, you're like, absolutely no. But why in the world then do we operate? It's a question I have for you, for us, and for myself. Because Paul names it in a little bit. Like, all these things that he has named, all the things that I have named. Like, do we really live, like, these things, these Christian ideals, or all things are really worthless? Like, don't get me wrong. Reading your Bible is really good. I couldn't imagine being a follower of Jesus and not reading my Bible. I couldn't imagine being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, and not coming and being a part of the gathered community weekly so that I can be encouraged, so I can live deep into community and relationship with one another, knowing that I'm not alone. I couldn't imagine being a disciple that doesn't pray, doesn't seek God. But here's my thing, friends. But do we live in a way that those things, those accomplishments, are worthless at the sake of of gaining Christ. Because I can tell you, I've been in the church long enough, and I know a lot of people that are living as if they still live under the law, that they're religious, faultless, under the law, that they have prayed, they have showed up on Sunday, they have tied, they have kept the Sabbath, they have not coveted, they have done everything else. And guess what? There's still no life. Because we've held value in these things. Like, our job as Christians, when, or before we were Christians, is that when we come to meet Christ, and we see him, that there's a transformation that happens in an instant, and then for the rest of your life. And that in a minute, like, that moment that we meet Christ, and we find his grace, and his mercy, and it overwhelms us, and his love, and his presence that he promises, that Kyle was talking about, that he'll never leave, nor forsake us, that the fear, that we shall not fear, because we, perfect love drives out all fear. It's that slowly the world tries to conform us back to a way that says the successes, the check marks that you've picked off, those are the things that really matter. Those are the things that your pastor and your elders are going to want to see to know that you're a good follower of Jesus. But in that moment, in that moment that you meet Jesus and every day afterwards, we have to do an inventory of our life. In, in that moment of transformation, both revalue all things revalue, and like, especially right now, if you've been following Jesus for more than one day, I want to encourage you to continue to revalue what is the value of your discipleship of Jesus 
Is it the production of things or the presence of the one who produces all things? Paul says it this way. As a reminder of you, if we read the text again, that I once thought all these things were valuable. How many of you like hold those things of value, right? I've grown up in the church. I'm not going to say which church it is, but I've grown up in many churches that says, now I have given. I'm a member. I have given. I've served in the lowly places. And now it's my turn for the seat at the table where the decisions are made. I've earned that right. Ooh. I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else, both all these good Christian things, follow, like Christian things, and all things are now considered worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Take a minute and just think about that. That inventory in your life. Maybe that inventory that you did this morning, that you got up and you did your quiet time and you did your prayer. You came up and you showed up here. You got dressed. Thank you for getting dressed. But it's a way to say, like, I need to earn or show that my worth is on the exterior. I love that when I do a little bit of digging in this word worthless, uh, there's, there's other ways that it's translated. And I just love, and maybe it'll give you a couple, maybe it'll resonate with you. And I did a little couple emojis on this thing. I'm a visual person. Maybe you're a visual person. But I love the first one that says like that, that they are garbage, right? And think about garbage for a second. It's something that you use, you toss out, and then you go take it out to the garbage can who then takes your garbage away from out of your sight and moves it away from you, right? Because if you left garbage in your life, it would super stink and nobody wants to come over. I'm not going to come over. Sorry. Right? So we get garbage out of our lives because it stinks up the place. It stinks up the church. We don't take out the garbage, Right? Paul says it like, I once considered all those things gain, but maybe you're a business person. That now I consider it as a loss, right? I consider these things a loss, which means something that you're willing to take a hit on it because it's not material to your business. That you're willing, you've made a pivot in your life, and that your business now is on the purpose of finding and following Jesus. And so the things that you once had worth, you're willing that there is value in them, but you're willing to take the loss because they're not a part of your business model moving forward. So you're willing to take a loss. You're willing to take a write-off. You're willing to take in one year this huge place that it looks like your business and is, is not worth what it originally was. And you're okay with that because you know what you're going is a different business plan, a different business model that you have to reconstruct all those things, which means you have to take a loss. And then I'll let you figure out what the last one is. Whatever, whatever word you want to describe for this emoji. Um, but I love in, 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 in the scriptures it says excrement, right? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you? Uh, we're, we're dogs hitting a dog today, which means we have two dogs. Do you know how much poop is in our yard? Oh, Lord. Can you imagine in your life, like, if you, if you, if we, if our yard, if we never removed, like, you would walk the path to our door, stay on our deck, and move nowhere else, right? And then if it filled up, you'd be like, maybe the, oh, it's on the path now, right? 
It's on a deck now. But like, think about this. When you, you when we talk about that it, it is, it is excrement, it is poop, that we can, de- you can decide on whatever word you want to use. You can use another word. Um, uh, but you are, like, literally in this world, people are willing to pay people to take away their dog's feces out of your yard. Right? It is billions of dollars. Like, an, indiv- an individual I, uh, that started a company called I Scoop Poop was fired from his job. Lucrative, lucrative um, position that he held, lost his job during the economic downturn, and he was like, well, what can I do? What is a necessary thing that people want me to do? He started a business, scooping poop, and that's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Because the truth is, is that you need that stuff taken away. It is worthless. It's actually a detriment to you and your health if you keep it around. To think about those, those certain things that you have held up like Paul did, is that those things are a detriment to your health as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. And if you don't get rid of those things, that those things are going to become toxic into your body and cause you to lose your life more than to find it. And here's the thing, maybe you're just like, I'm not convinced. In the garbage leaving your house, and the poop removing from your yard. Does anybody in the world, in the entire history, ever cried about stuff being removed like that from their house? No. So why in the world do we hold on so dearly to the things and the practices that we've held up that actually don't draw us closer to Christ, but are just religious exercises which we live into? I want to end with this. And this is my exhortation to you this is my encouragement and my invitation to you. Is that the joy, this is my reminder, you know this. You know this, church. My friends, you know this. Or maybe you're here for the first time you never heard this. Maybe this will revolutionize your life. Because it's the gospel, it's the good news. Joy comes from not knowing, it comes from knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus. Man, can I tell you, I want to say that again. The joy that Paul talks about comes from knowing God, not knowing about God, not knowing about Jesus. And that's what it gets to, that sometimes the practices in our lives, no matter how good they are, are just become a religious exercise that are futile, that don't take us to knowing God. It takes us to knowing about God. And how many people have we lived and how many people have you known and seen who walk away from faith, but they know a lot about Christ, but they've actually never met him? My question to you, do you absolutely know, have you grown up in the church and you know a lot about Jesus? And my question to you is, do you even know Jesus? Do you know him as intimately as the person that you're sitting next to? That's a good question. Do you know Jesus as intimately as the person that you're sitting next to or the closest person in your life? Because there is such a difference between, and our, and our culture evaluates information and knowledge as the hierarchy and the pinnacle of the world. Enlightenment changed everything. Knowledge is key. And that's invaded the church. There are so many good Christians that know a lot about Jesus, 
but aren't living transformed life because they don't know the one which the transformation comes from. You've read a book. You've listened to a podcast. You've listened to some really good pastors. But you're participating in an exercise of someone who is in relationship with that you're not. And that's why it feels so void. That's why you feel like you have no joy. That feels why you're like, I'm empty and I don't know what to do. <laughs> Let's just begin back to the text. I always want to go back to the text. Verse 8 and 9. Or 10 and 11. Sorry, 10 and 11. That was before. I want to know Christ. Like sometimes we go to the Bible and we think, man, it's so like, it's hard to understand. Can I read three words? Or four words? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. God, you can have all of this world, all these things and these things. I want to know Christ. God, take everything that I have and give me Jesus. Take all this world and give me Jesus. Take all of my success. Take all of my um, failures. Take everything and give me Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I wonder if that was just the longing of the hearts. If, 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 for the rest of your life, if you said those four words every day, all the time, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I wonder how that would change our hearts and change our lives. And he goes, I want to know Christ. And then this is why I'm saying, like, everything that comes after this starts with four words. I want to know Jesus. It's actually five, right? Sheesh. This is why I'm a pastor. Lord, this is why I'm a pastor. Thank you, Lord. I thought I wanted to be an accountant. But man, y'all would fire me if I was an accountant. Ooh, Lord. Or maybe it's just a trick and I've just embezzled. I'm, whoa, that's not, that's too far. That's a tangent. Uh, let's not go there. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participate in the sufferings of becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Friends, to know forgiveness is to know Jesus. Name anything, to know anything, any good attribute that it means to find and follow Jesus. Name it in your head. To know that thing is to know Jesus. To know forgiveness is to know that the one who poured out his blood for you so that you might receive that forgiveness. To know peace is to know the one who even the winds and the waves obey. To know patience is to know Jesus, who is the one who is always there in the midst of your fickleness. To know freedom is to know the one who broke the bondage of sin in your life. To know the resurrected life is to know the only one who has been raised to life. To know healing. It's to know the one who comes and asks you, what would you like me to do? These things aren't ideals. 
Joy isn't an ideal. It's a person. To know joy in our life is to know the person which all joy emanates from. The one who created joy. The one who created goodness. To know goodness in your life is to know Christ. All of these things is to not know about them as ideals. It's information just to catalog so that when you need them, you might access them. No, it's to go to the one who is the source of all things. To say, God, take everything, but give me Jesus. You can have all of these things, but give me Jesus. Because I truly believe when we start there, all the rest of these things flow. That once you know Jesus, then you will know the power of his resurrection. Then you will be willing to participate in the sufferings like he did. And that in by knowing him, you will then become like him in his death. That somehow we will receive the hope we have all been dreaming of. Of resurrected life. That is with the creator of all life. For all time. But church, as one last reminder. The road is wide for those that know about Christ. The road is narrow to those who know Christ. Let us pray. Father, as I as I allow your truth to linger, Holy Spirit, what is what are the things that are religious exercises in my life and in our life as a church that squelches our love and our desire to know your Son? Holy Spirit, what are the things in our lives that we're doing right now just out of habit? And not out of a desire to be close to Jesus. Like Becca preached last week, God, maybe some of us need to come back. Some of us have left your house and we've gone away to do whatever we want to do. And now it's time to return home, not to the chores, not to the duties, but to knock on the door and be opened us to the son who invites us into the family again. Not with resentful, grudgeful welcome but a celebration that you have returned because you are loved. And God, some of us need to knock on the door for the first time. We realize today we know a lot about your son, Jesus, God, but we don't know him. 
And today we repent and we say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I've conformed to the ways of the world to accumulate knowledge about your son. But I want to know him. I can't stand another day without knowing his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his joy. So God, today I surrender my strivings to do enough to earn your love. So God, come in both of our places. Holy Spirit, continue to do right now the thing that only you can do because we are a forgetful people who need remindering. God, take everything as we offer it back to you. In exchange, would you give us your son so that we might know, we might find, we might follow, and fall in love. We ask this in your name. Amen.